Morning Liberty. Well, hello, y'all. Welcome to uh, this is a Good Morning Liberty podcast, and we're recording this live from Politicon. And uh, it's it's good to see all of you guys out here. And I want to say the four people that are here so far, <laughs> I want to say that uh, here at Politicon, it's it's a very uh, diverse crowd, and I really like that. One thing that I you know, ultimately agree with the left on is uh, diversity is a good thing, right? We all come from different backgrounds, different beliefs. Uh, we, we have different upbringings. And so diversity is actually a really, really good thing. And, and one of the questions becomes is how do you organize a society with, with the diversity that you have? And ultimately, we believe uh, at Good Morning Liberty, the best way to do that is to allow people to be as free as they possibly can be, which creates the most wealth opportunity uh, for the ordinary person that we've ever seen throughout history. And so we base a lot of this on, you know, historical beliefs that we've seen throughout all of history. And I think today we're going to primarily focus on uh, something that uh, we would be considered experts in, which is healthcare. So we do have problems in our, in our society, right? Um, healthcare being one of them. There's there's education problems. There's, there's all of that. We will say that healthcare is too expensive. Would anybody agree with that? It that is, healthcare yes. is too I'll expensive. I agree with that. Yeah. Right. Now, why? Does anybody actually know why healthcare is too expensive? I think it's because of greed. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that's what it is, right? That's, <laughs> that's what it is. It's only greed. Yeah. That's, that's the only it's reason the only why it could yeah. be why it could be expensive. No, so like what Charlie said, you know, we so our backgrounds why we say we can be experts when talking about healthcare is because the business that we run uh, on a daily basis is in the healthcare industry. We do revenue cycle automation for a large healthcare company. And then I'm also lucky enough to be married to someone that's a financial analyst for HCA, which is the biggest uh, hospital corporation in, in the world. So we've got a, a little bit of inside knowledge as far as what makes healthcare so expensive. And like he said, an important way to start with this is for all of us to admit healthcare is too expensive, and we all want to come up with some kind of a solution for that. So when we all admit that we, we realize the same problem exists, we all see a problem, and we all admit that it's a problem, it's a good way for us to all start talking about it because we don't start the conversation with all this hatred and divisiveness and name-calling and thinking that one side wants people to, to die because they're poor and one side wants people to starve because of bad economics. Like that, We don't want to start the conversation from that point. We want to start with, let's identify some things inside the healthcare industry that could be changed, uh, some laws that shouldn't exist, some regulations that shouldn't exist, that could actually create some kind of downward pressure on the healthcare market. Because what we've identified so far are only incentives that create upward pressure on healthcare prices. There's actually no reason for healthcare to get cheaper inside of that market. There are no incentives. Where, as in other markets, there are all kinds of incentives for businesses operating inside of the free market to become more efficient, to uh, lower the prices on things, to make their product more accessible to the most amount of people possible. In the healthcare industry, that doesn't exist. And that's why it just keeps getting more and more expensive. So, so what we want to do is identify those and right. start from there. Before we do identify those and talk through a, a few pieces and give you some actual solutions of what we think could actually make it cheaper, I do want to say, take a little bit deeper dive on this political divide. We do operate a website called BernieLies.com. <laughs> um, and the reason for that is, is we've taken Bernie's platform, his website, essentially, if you go to BernieLies.com, and we've taken each policy position that he has, and we explain where Bernie Sanders is wrong on the statistics when it comes to either the amount of money that's spent on healthcare or the uh, education. We've taken each one of those lines. We've written several articles about them, and we explain how, as a salesman, Bernie Sanders is selling things like Medicare for All uh, with some falsehoods included. I'm not saying that they're not uh, explicitly not true, but he uses a manipulation in sales and marketing yeah. to get his point to make his point more valid. Let's say. And one thing I'll also say for Bernie Bernie fans the, that are out here is, it's not really just picking on Bernie Sanders. It's the ideas themselves. So while we use Bernie as BernieLies.com, it's really approaching those ideas. Uh, uh, and he is. 
I think, one of the best salesmen I've ever seen for those ideas. He is and the populist left. He is I would very, say. very good at pinpointing problems and, and offering a solution that can fit inside of one tweet. And the problem is, uh, most of these solutions are, are very, very complicated. They're not as simple as, as he makes them out to be. If you started with just, you could start right there on its head with the cost of healthcare. Now, there's, we all agree that it's too expensive, but we should also be starting from the same, the same numbers, the right numbers. And the issue is the number that people use for the price of healthcare is not the actual amount of money that people actually pay for healthcare. You know, I had surgery in January of this year. My surgeon charged me $26,000 for the surgery, about 30-minute long surgery, 26000 Was it any good? I, I assume he did a good job. <laughs> nothing, nothing bad has come of it. He was just supposed to remove a piece of my insides, and I think he got that out of there. So it seems okay. Appendix, yeah. right? Yeah, you appendix took that appendix. Disease. I hope appendix, like we don't find out that those are important. I, don't, <laughs> I, hope, we, I hope that doesn't happen. But um, So the surgeon charged me $26,000. Now, all of us can completely agree that that is a ridiculous price to charge for that. I 100% agree. But the problem is... He never was going to get paid the $26,000. And he knew this. And the hospital knew this. And I knew it when he billed it. They have contractual adjustments on his bill uh, that end up getting worked down to him making about 30% of the number that he charges for the, for the surgery. So in, in all likelihood, he really got paid maybe seven or $8,000 for the surgery. And remember, my wife is a financial analyst for the company that owns the hospital that did my surgery. So... Not that she's told me all of the inside information, but I'm just telling you that's, this is the case. So he got maybe seven or $8,000 for the surgery. So when Bernie's talking about the price of healthcare, is he using the seven or $8,000 that the surgeon was actually going to get paid? Or is he using the $26,000 that the surgeon billed me that everyone knew was never going to get paid? I know. What is it? 26000 He used the 26000 <laughs> And that's a now price. Why, why would he do something like that? To make the case for the policy. Right. Now, once again, once again, we are not saying that healthcare is affordable and it's great and we shouldn't do anything to fix it. It obviously is too expensive. We all agree on that. But we have to start from the accurate numbers. Well, and, and not only that, but if anytime you're presented with a problem, right, and we learn this when we're when we're young, right? Through through education or whatever, anytime you're presented with a problem, you have to figure out how that problem started to begin with. Right. Before you can before you offer solutions. Right. You have to show your work, let's say. Right. So before you can come up with solutions to solve a problem, you have to know how that problem became a problem to begin with. And so one of the things that we've looked at um, being on the financial side of healthcare and all the numbers is looking through how we actually got to the place that we got to today, how throughout the years since healthcare, since the inception of healthcare, let's say, which is really only in the last, you know, 60, 70 years have we really been advanced in saving lives. You know, in, in 1900, even in the richest countries in the world, your life expectancy was 50. You know, most of your kids didn't live till they were five years old. You know, so healthcare, uh, well, even back in the medieval times, you could say, like, they used to think that bloodletting saved your life. So there, we have advanced significantly in the last 50, 60, 70 years in healthcare. And so as healthcare has become advanced as it has, why is it, why is it one of the marketplaces that has become so expensive that we can't afford to save our own lives, let's say? So it's, we could start from something really simple I think everyone here could agree on. Have, have any of you guys ever heard of anything called a certificate of need, a CON? You guys ever ever heard of that? Maybe for me, possibly. Yeah. So this is my one <laughs> of my biggest. Yeah, yesterday. I heard it this yesterday. This is one of my biggest pet peeves in the in the healthcare industry because a lot of people don't know that it exists, but it exists in uh, close to forty states. So a certificate of need is when you want to add a new bed in your hospital. See, when you have a hospital, it has a certain amount of beds. If you want to add more beds, if you want to buy an MRI machine, if you want to buy a new CT scan, if you want to build a new building somewhere, you have to obtain from the government something that's called a certificate of need. And you have to make the case to the government that there is actually a need for the extra bed in your hospital, for you to have another MRI machine, for you to build a freestanding ER unit down in Brentwood, like the one that we're about to talk about. Um, 
you have to make the case to the government that there's actually a need for that. And so that already, okay, well, that's not a very free market. If you're a free market company, you should just be able to add another bed in your hospital, or you should be able to buy a new MRI machine if you think that that's going to be profitable for you. So we've already killed the free market idea right there. But then after that, the crazier, the crazier thing is that when you file the certificate of need, your competition in the healthcare market can take you to court and challenge your petition to get that certificate of need. And so what we have was an instance with, with my wife, who's the, who's the financial analyst, was she worked for two years on a CON for Centennial Hospital, and they were just trying to put in a freestanding ER unit in an area that did not have an ER unit very close to it. So they wanted to be able to do that. What happened was Vanderbilt Hospital took them to court over it, and the, it was a legal process spanning over two years for them to be able to get the certificate of need. Now, by the time the whole process was said and finished, before you were to break any ground on that ER unit, they were in the tens of millions of dollars in expenses just from trying to obtain the certificate of need. Now, that building, anything that they do, is already starting tens of millions of dollars in the hole at that, st at that point in time that they have to try and recoup from the people who are going to be using the business for their service. So I think something like a, a, a certificate of need, which a lot of people don't know about, I think it's something we can all agree on regardless of what your, your political beliefs are. I can't find a reason that that would exist. I can't find a reason that if a company wants to build another hospital and they think that they can be profitable with it, why it would somehow be better for the patients, because that's the reasoning that they have the certificate of need, by the way, it's to protect the patients how this would somehow be better for the patients to stop this hospital from building a location closer to them. I cannot find the reason why that would be better. Why, if they could have more beds, if they could have another MRI machine, why would that be bad for the patients? You know, when you think about supply and demand, you keep increasing the demand all the time. You keep increasing the demand, but then you restrict the supply. You don't let them give another e ER machine or MRI machine or an another bed in their hospital. And it just makes everything more expensive. That's upward price pressure on the market. Right, and, and you have to make things more expensive because you have limited resources. So, I mean, who wouldn't want a, an ER that's closer to them, right? It's like, oh, no, I'm having a heart attack. I'd rather drive further away. Yeah, it's you better know, I don't for want, you. I don't want an ER to be five minutes from me. I'd make it an hour because I want to live on the edge, and maybe I won't make it if, if the <laughs> hospital's an hour away. But no one wants that, right? That's, I think that's one thing that it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you come from. We could all agree on that that's a bad government overreach, right? That's bad regulation that only hurts people. It doesn't – there's it, – it, there's never any intention to hurt, to help anyone. All it does is make healthcare more expensive and hurts the patients that they say they're trying to help, because it's the competition trying to use the government power, which they have been able to do, right? And this is what we call cronyism. The competition is able to use government power to stop their competition from competing with them, and you can only do that if you have the the power of the government. So this is why we we offer what we call the, the free market. And I know capitalism gets a bad word, but it is the capitalist solution. And, and this is what allows uh, competition to compete with each other to provide the supply that's necessary for the demand of healthcare. Now, this is just one of the reasons why healthcare is so expensive, right? There's, there's several more. I'll give you another example, right? And I see this all the time. Uh, so I started a, a software development company where I consult with healthcare companies and I develop software that helps them navigate all of the regulations that government has put on healthcare, which healthcare, by the way, is the most heavy, it is the heaviest regulated market that we have. It's even, it even has more regulations than the banking industry does, just so you know. So it's what we have today is actually completely far from a free market, despite what anyone on the left would tell you when they're advocating for Medicare for all, and somehow Medicare for all would be better than the free market solution we have today. We don't. We almost have a Medicare for all. <laughs> We're just almost about. there, just about. <laughs> so, so essentially, what I do is I, is I am able, through technology, to help these companies sort 
their claims that they're trying to collect on based on all of the government regulations that are out there. And a lot of things, when, when you produce a bill, if a, if a patient comes to a hospital, let's say they come for chest pain. While they come into the emergency room, they have chest pain, they had a heart attack, they had to go, they had to go to, they had to be admitted and, and maybe have a stent put in or something like that, right? Well, whenever you leave the hospital and, and a bill is produced, all of those different procedures and diagnosis and everything that they gave you, all the medicines, everything, it all has to be coded properly. So you have things that are called procedure codes, diagnostic codes. Um, there, there's all kinds of, uh, and then there's subcodes, by the way, for each one of those. And you have to like prove to the insurance company and Medicare or Medicaid that you actually perform these services and it was, uh, you were supposed to, right? Well, one thing that, that insurances do is they deny a lot of claims. Now, why would an insurance company deny a lot of claims? Well, because they don't want to pay out. Because their business model is to manage risk in a way to where what they pay out in claims is less than what they accept in premiums. Otherwise, that business doesn't exist. If you pay out more in claims than you, than you accept in premiums, then you don't have a company, and, and you by just the, close shop. By the way, insurance, health insurance companies are one of the lowest profit margin companies that, that we have. They, they operate on about 2% total profit margin at the end of the year, uh, whereas if you looked at Apple or something like that, they have about 22% profit margin at the end of the year. A lot of the Fortune, five, Fortune 500 companies, their average net profit margin is uh, 8 to 10% per year. Health insurance companies are about 2%. They're one of, the, one of the lowest ones. So it's not just because they're taking in too much profit. They're taking in the, a lower profit margin than most companies out there. Right. Well, and so, so a couple examples of how this happens is, is if you don't code a bill correctly or you don't put the right uh, diagnostic code or anything like that, the insurance will deny it. And you have to have people there to work it to make sure that the bill's correct so that you can actually collect the money that's because you've already paid your doctors and you've already paid your nurses and you already paid the construction people to build the hospital and you already paid the medical device company to provide all of the oxygen and everything like that. So when you're providing that service and you're trying to collect on that claim, well, the insurance companies will deny that claim if it's not coded properly. Now, did the insurance companies just come up with this on a whim? They didn't. This is all set by Medicare. If you look at the trends of healthcare costs over the years, it has significantly gone up by 400% since Medicare and Medicaid were passed in 1965. Before Medicare and Medicaid, healthcare costs were increasingly were increasing, but they were increasing at the rate that almost everything else in the market was increasing. They were it was not going up by 400% like we have seen since the introduction of Medicare and Medicaid in 1965. Well, actually, the, the 400% number is a, is a little bit old and outdated. The the actual so before Medicare per person cost for healthcare yearly was a, a little over a thousand dollars. This was in 1960 before before Medicare, and now it's close to about nine thousand dollars per person since since we introduced Medicare. And before that, the 30 years before Medicare. That price has only gone from $500 per person to $1,000 per person. So it had doubled, but now it's actually gone up by eight times that amount in the time that we introduced Medicare. So they've done nothing but have ways for things to get more expensive. One thing my wife tells me all the time is that when you have someone come in and they have tons of different codes, a lot of things happen to them while they're in the hospital. Medicare only pays for, for one thing, one DRG. When you come in and you have a hip replacement, if you have a, a stroke from your surgery or something happened like another code, they don't pay for any of the medical procedures that have to happen because you had a stroke. So you, go, you go in for the hip replacement and they pay for the one thing. And if you end up, they have something called the geometric length of stay. They've decided how long you need to stay in the hospital after you have something happen. If you stay longer than that, they don't pay for any days after that amount of time. So if you have, if you have some kind of complications with the surgery, you have to stay there for two or three weeks, they will only pay for the one or two days that they've decided that you needed to be there after the surgery. So what that's led to is since you can only get that one payment for something, they want that one payment to cover a huge range of options of bad things that can happen because they're only going to get paid for the one thing. So they make sure that that one thing can cover everything. And they've also got this what I call a double jeopardy rule. If you go in for something and 
you don't, uh, if you're a patient, you don't take care of yourself, you don't follow the doctor's orders, and you go in for the same thing again, they, they won't pay for it again. They already paid for you to have something done for COPD. You go in a month later, even if you kept smoking the whole time, you did everything terrible, they won't pay for that procedure again. It's a, they'll pay the one time. So now the, the hospitals continuously need to know that they need to get enough money from one thing to pay for a massive range of possibilities that could happen. So that's caused, once again, another massive upward pressure on, on healthcare prices. It's, a, it's basically a way of price control. And we haven't even talked about the fact that right now in America, and this is the way it's always been, healthcare companies don't turn anyone away. If you come into the ER, you're going to get served. In fact, it's illegal to even ask for any type of payment or insurance before they actually like save your life and provide services. It's actually illegal for them to ask that until you see a provider. And so we're not even talking about the, the vast amount of people that come into hospital facilities or healthcare facilities that, will, that actually never pay a dime. Most hospitals, and, and in fact, all hospitals around this country carry hundreds of millions of dollars of what's called bad debt that they will never see. They'll never collect on that. And they know this. So the money that they do collect has to cover everyone they serve that pays and everyone they serve that don't pay. And so what we're basically we're going through all of the, let's say, boring statistics to get to a place of saying that what we have is a myriad of issues of why healthcare is so expensive. And almost every single one of them are caused by government intervention and regulation. So we question why in the world would we give everything to government? Because they've proven themselves through what they've done throughout history that Medicare for all would actually not be cheaper or better for anyone. I actually can't come up with one thing. And if you guys can tell me one thing, that would be great. But I can't come up with one industry that the government got itself involved in that it took over and then the cost of that service or item actually went down like or the actual cost or or got better yeah more more efficient the better service i can't think of any time in history wh where that happened so when we talk about medicare for all maybe being cheaper for people first off i it would be the first ever government program to make th something cheaper and better. So well, look at, you, you would have to think, assume that that's going to happen. I think Obamacare is a perfect example because the average family, we were told the average family would save $2,500 a year if Obamacare was passed. Was over and over and over again. You can keep your doctor. You can keep your plan. The average family is going to save $2,500 if we pass Obamacare. Obamacare was passed. And not only did the average family not save $2,500, but it cost them about an extra $4,000 on average. That's a $6,500 swing. And you weren't allowed to keep your doctor. You weren't allowed to keep your plan. They changed everything. And so my question is, is when has government ever been honest or forthcoming about things like this that can happen? And so the government passed these regulations on the healthcare market saying that it was going to help us, when in turn it actually did the opposite of that. And I'm actually saying, my question is, when are we going to believe, like, when are we not going to believe what they say? Because and they've proven themselves to be dishonest throughout most of the programs they pass. And the situation I see here is that, let's say you're a Bernie Sanders fan, and you think, well, Bernie's not dishonest. He actually is going to make all this better. And, that, and you think about Obamacare, we're like, well, the Republicans screwed that up by changing something after, after it was passed, or, or, you know, whatever you want to think right there. The same thing can be the case with Bernie's Medicare for All. The, Bernie's not going to be the president forever if he gets elected. There will be other people. There will be Republicans in office. There will be, uh, there will be crony Democrats in office after Trump, that. Trump Jr. There will elected. be Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> could get elected for all, for all you know. Ugh. So the, the question I have is, say you trust Bernie with Medicare and health care for everyone. To me, it's more dangerous because you're not just trusting Bernie with that, you're trusting Donald Trump Jr. with that. You're you're trusting, you know, one of the the Clinton children maybe. You're you're maybe another Bush is probably going to get elected sometime. You're AO not trusting. You're not trusting Bernie. He would be president for four to eight years. Your problem is who's going to be the president after that. You never know. And they can do the same things to dismantle Medicare for all that people have done to dismantle Obamacare and make it not work. So placing your trust in the government creating the system and and it's for sure for all of our lives, for the rest of our lives, and the whole existence of this country is going to provide really good service for everyone and make everything cheaper and better. 
to me, you can't make that kind of a claim when you don't even know who the president's going to be two years from now. So I can't give the government that power. It, I, maybe you want to give Bernie that power. But you're not giving Bernie the power. You're giving the president of the United States the power. You're giving the U.S. government the power. And you don't know who's going to be in control of that in a couple of years. So one, that's the biggest danger I see with it. One thing I want to say, and uh, we can take some questions, I think, here in a minute. But yeah. uh, one thing I'd like to say is, you know, Bernie and the left does a really good job at, at pulling on your emotional heartstrings, right? So they tell these um, sad stories of, and th these are true, I mean, they're true sad stories of people who are suffering that can't get the care they need because it's too expensive. And what we advocate for is that we care about those people. We care about the single mother who's got three kids that can't, you know, afford to get, to send their kids to the dentist to get their teeth cleaned and they end up getting gen gingivitis. Or we care about, you know, the single dad who's got two kids and he's got cancer and he can't afford his cancer treatment. We care about them so much that we wanna make healthcare as cheap as it can possibly be. And this is why we advocate against things like Medicare for all, because it's not actually going to help the ones that most need it. What it's going to do is do things like what's happening in Canada and the UK where we have long wait lines. I have a friend of mine who, who married a guy in Canada. She lives there now. She has early onset MS, and she had to wait eight months to get an MRI. Eight months to get an MRI to see what her progression of MS was. And so, yeah, the MRI was free, but in essence, it's not free because she had to wait so much time. The only non-renewable resource we have in our life is time, right? We can talk about non, any kind of non-renewable resource. The only one we actually don't have is time. And so the time that you wait to get things that you actually need, you know, if that MRI was 50 bucks, wouldn't it be better if I could get that MRI next week for 50 bucks versus having to wait eight months to get a free MRI? And they're not quite that cheap, but I did have to get an MRI and I did not have insurance. So I had, had to have surgery while I did not have insurance. And my MRI cash price was $250 at a place down in Spring Hill. Pretty, pretty good. I if, thought that was a good price. If you had insurance, yeah. it'd be about... Two grand. If any of you guys have any questions, let us know. I'm going to say uh, one, more, one more thing about comparisons between the countries when we're talking about these, these Medicare problems. Um, and so when we're comparing between the countries, you hear, uh, you hear anyone, just say anyone on the left. I'll pick on Bernie, I guess, some more. So you hear Bernie talking about comparisons between Denmark and the United States. Well, these countries over here can do it, so why can't we do it? How is every other developed country able to do this when the United States cannot? The, the problem when making those claims is that if, if you're talking about Denmark, you're talking about a country that has a population of 4.5 million people, and that is the size of West Virginia. And that is the entire country. They have about half the population of the city of New York, and they're the size of West Virginia. So maybe they can produce some kind of Medicare for all in that country, but they're the size of one of our cities. So it's, it's not a very good comparison whatsoever. If you wanted to make the comparison, then make the claim that we should have Medicare for all for Chicago or for New York. And maybe we can talk about that situation. Maybe we can talk about that as a solution, you know. Um, but these comparisons between countries that obviously do, are not equal comparisons just, just do not add up. So I, you had your hand up. You, you got a question? Do you want, a, uh, you want a microphone here? <laughs> you, we're recording this. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, w when you say that, um, like, comparing universal health care with other countries, I'll say that, like, Canada, for instance, mm -hmm. their universal health care is based down provincially. So what would you have to say if someone wanted to have a single-payer system broken down by each state? I think so. The question was, thank you. That's that's a good one. The question was, uh, when you look at Canada, you know they have different prov they have different uh, provinces, and what if we wanted to have a Medicare for all that was broken down between each state? And to me, I'm much more open to that as a solution because it's on a smaller scale. Uh, scaling things up and still being efficient is very, very difficult. It's very, big businesses find this out too. As they get bigger and bigger, they, get, they tend to get less efficient. So uh, our models that's gonna have to span across 330 million people and 2,000 mile long borders, a claim 
using a country that's the size of West Virginia can't really add up that well. But yes, if there is a state, if California, which has the same population as Canada, if California wants to enact some kind of Medicare for all, leave it to the states and let them do that. And that way, if you don't want to be involved in that, if you don't want it, it's very easy to move to Nevada or to move to New Mexico or Arizona, something like that. that to me, that's, that's a much better option than having it for the whole country. And if those people on that smaller level want to decide to do that, then, then I, I'm okay with them doing that. Now, if I live in the state, then I won't argue for them to do it. But living in Tennessee, I'm not going to argue against California deciding to enact a law like that. Right. And that's what I was going to say is ultimately I still think it's not a good idea. But I, what I do like is the fact that our, our founders set up our country in a way to where we basically have 50 sovereign states that can vote on these types of things and decide for themselves what they would like their state to look like. And so the the founders were very, very specific about what power the federal government have had. And healthcare was never listed as a power for the federal government. So the 10th Amendment says the power is not delegated to the federal government or left to the states and to the people. Yeah. And, and so they're nowhere in the Constitution does it say federal government can control health care. Yeah. What you got? Thank you. That is literally That's a very good that, point. Yes. Mm hmm. Yeah. I had chocolate for so, breakfast this morning. So ex exactly <laughs> what this guy said. So for the for people listening on our podcast when we upload this, uh, the the question was about Denmark and the fact that when you're comparing these countries, they have different population demographics. They have different rates of disease between the people. And I actually different cultures. I love the fact that he beliefs. brought that up because before we started this, I got on a website. Just so you guys know, there's a website called ourworldindata.org ourworldanddata.org, and they will tell you the data on almost anything you look up. And health is one of those things. When you compare these countries, I was comparing this to Canada. For cancer rates, we are 20% higher for rates of cancer than Canada. We are 20% higher for obesity than Canada is. We are 35% higher in injuries. Just that Those are things you have to go to the doctor for, too. Injuries. We're 35% higher than Canada is. Uh, there was one more. It was, uh, did I say heart disease? Was Di that one of them? I think diabetes. Yeah, diabetes like 40, was also 20% higher. 20%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I brought up one of them, which was the injuries. Now, we can talk, once we talk about injuries, we can talk about violence, and then we can talk about gun violence, gun violence and things like that. And we can have those conversations, but the point is, when you're comparing the two, we don't even have the same age demographics. You know, people who are older are going to have more expenses for health care. Has anyone looked to see what the age demographics are between the two countries? Do they have a higher old, uh, you know, are the higher age range for their population? Do they have a much higher rate of heart disease? No, they don't. We do. We're much more obese than every other country. We all know that, and that carries with it all kinds of medical problems. So, yeah. Go ahead. You can come up and use the microphone yeah. so we can uh, hear you on the podcast. Yeah. I think a big problem with uh, getting socialized medicine is the sharing of records. How much do you want to share with millions of other agencies, like private doctors, mm -hmm. and like pretty soon your driving, your car insurance is going to go up. Your you won't be able to get life insurance. They can base a whole lot of things on your medical records that before they didn't have access to. Well, actually, yep. they already have all of it. <laughs> no, no, actually, I, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a disabled vet. Yeah. And, and so, thank goodness President Trump initiated the Veterans Choice so that you could get an appointment at an outside uh, provider. Because the VA system is terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yeah. but also mismanaged, right? Because they actually receive more money. Yeah, they, they actually they receive way more money than HCA does. I've done this comparison before. A private hospital that actually turns a profit, a private hospital corporation that turns a profit, 
makes less money than the VA system does, and they have, and the private system has more hospitals, more networks. They see more patients. They make less money than what the Veteran Affairs Association receives, and it's the VA is very poorly mismanaged. Well, bureaucratic red tape. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. It's very difficult. But anyway, when you do go out to a private uh, provider, they don't have access to your records. I can tell you this from personal mm -hmm. experience. Right. Like, I had to wait longer than 30 days, so they referred me, and... I'm going in blind. They have nothing. Like, uh, it's like not even really having an appointment. Yeah. Because they don't have access to like, oh, you were blown up in Kuwait. This is what happened. Yeah. It, none of that is available to them. Yeah. Which, uh, if we made socialized medicine, all of that would be available. To, and it's not available now. But if you have one central system that people can tap into, I think it is asking for trouble. I think it's going to uh, put like a social standing Chinese system uh, where yeah. you well, get. <laughs> and I want to say thank you for your service. And then I, I made a joke that they already have the information based on Edward Snowden's revelation. I, I mean, they do. <laughs> yeah. They do. They're but just not using it that, that we, in a way that which we know of. It's not centralized. It's not right. as easy to access. If they have a central system, we're, we're, they're going to tap into it easily. And that's the point. The reason why we argue against socialism is because you're setting up power structures to allow tyrants to come in and abuse them. This is what we've seen throughout history multiple, multiple times. And it doesn't matter if it's fascist or socialist or communist or anything like that. When you set up the power structures where the state has control and you centralize those power structures, a Stalin can walk in the door. A Maduro can walk in the door. A Hitler can be put into power based on democracy. Chavez and Maduro were voted democratically, and Venezuela is a dumpster fire. Yeah. I don't care what what's-her-name from The View said. Yeah. <laughs> Maduro is a thug, yes, but it's the power structure. It's the power structure that gives them the power to do what they're able to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there has been plenty of backdoor things that we, we don't actually see on the news going on in Venezuela that has made it become uh, a very, very terrible country. And the people in that country are uh, really hurting. They're on the Maduro diet right now. They lose, they're losing weight because they're starving. They're, they're chasing down garbage trucks so they can get food. I mean, this is a real situation. So, um, and, and I started, I started reading Rand Paul's book. It's called socialism, uh, the case against socialism. And I didn't realize this until I started reading this book, but if you guys didn't know it, but Hugo Chavez, which is one of the first socialist dictators in Venezuela, his daughter is worth $40 billion. And the reason she's worth $40 billion is because Chavez was taking state money from Venezuela and putting it in private bank accounts in Geneva and Switzerland. And so now you have a country that's starving where, where Chavez and Maduro's family are living like kings and they're worth billions and everyone else is, is suffering. All right, so if hospitals didn't have to make a report on why they need to grow, what stops them from just continuing to grow? Are you talking about the, C, the, 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 the CON, CON part? Yeah, and then if hospitals can't contest the CON, how do, who should contest it? Well, I, I don't see any reason for, for anyone to be able to contest this, the CON. You know, I liken a CON to if you want to start a restaurant here in Nashville, a CON is you having to go to the other restaurants and ask their permission to start it. Uh, I, don't, I don't see why, why that would be better for anyone. So my, my option would be to not have the CON. If, if you want to build any type of facility, then you can build the facility, and you're a private business. If you lose money on it, then you lost money on it. And that's, th and that's, that's your— That answers your first question, which is what stops them from just overbuilding. Well, the fact that patients won't walk in the door. Yeah, they need, they need they, to make money off of it, so they like, won't build it if they don't think they can make money. Right, and if they do build it and, and they're not making money off of it, it closes. And that's just like any other business you see— 
that happens. Like people build businesses all the time. In fact, 80% of small business or, you know, first year businesses don't succeed, right? People build businesses all the time. They get in over their head or something happens, whatever those businesses close, or maybe there wasn't, a, maybe the market said, yeah, we don't really, we don't like your product or your service, right? Um, to, to your question about the medical records and them having the, uh, access to everything. One thing that really interests me about that is uh, what we saw with Facebook when the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal went down and everyone was upset with Facebook. Everyone in Congress, the uh, people who use fake Facebook were, were upset. And they didn't even give over like, it wasn't like credit card numbers and stuff or anything like that. It was just everything you put on your Facebook profile. That, that was it. And it, it's always interested me that people were so upset about that, but if someone wants to in the U.S. government, they could be watching my camera and listening right now, right now, literally on my phone. They could be. And why are, why are so many people upset when that happened with Facebook, but everyone has purely accepted the fact that, I mean, I have a thing that goes over my, my webcam right here on my, on my computer. I mean, it was a joke. Someone gave it to me. But, like, where do you make that, where do you draw that line and say it's okay for someone in the government to do it, but not if it's some, I mean, if it came out that Facebook was actually tapping into your it's camera because of, it's and, because your, of terrorists, and your yeah. mic and your microphone and everything, <laughs> like, can you imagine the uproar that would happen to Facebook if it came out that they were doing even half of what the government knowingly does all the time? And for some reason, we have this mentality that people who work in the government are somehow better and more virtuous and just not greedy and they're just amazing uh, amazingly perfect people and it's not the case we're all human beings and the problem is that with facebook they have the incentive to not do that because they don't want to go out of business they don't want to lose all of their money they don't want to lose all their people who use their app and the government there are no incentives to not do bad things because they can forcefully take money out of your bank account if you don't pay them anything so they they lose the incentive to provide you with any kind of good service and so I always have a weird, I don't want to say hypocrisy because that's a really strong word, but the, the hatred towards Facebook, but the just blatant disregard for the fact that the government does it every single day. I, I just don't understand it. I don't get it. Do you have another question? Right. Yeah, so well, the, the question is, is, is if the CON, the certificate of need was uh, no longer applicable, uh, no longer applied, then the tens of millions that they spent fighting that for two years, that they wouldn't have to spend fighting for the certificate of need, that, that they would go into other costs, which, yes, that's and that's the point. It would ultimately lower the bills. It would help lower. It's not the only issue. But it would help lower the cost that they would need to charge you to pay for services. And I think, are you asking, like, they would still just spend that amount of money anyway? Is that what you're saying? So, my, uh, so what I would say to that is they would spend that money on things that we all deem valuable whenever we go there for that service. Whether it's better, it's more beds, it's higher quality building, whatever it is. If they did still spend that exact amount of money, it would at least be on things that they would see as more valuable instead of this piece of paper that is permission from the government that costs that amount of money. I'd rather that expense be in a couple extra beds or be in another MRI machine or something like that. So maybe they would spend the same money, but then they could be upping the value of their service by spending that money. If they, and if they weren't going to up the value of their service, then they, they wouldn't spend the money. Their goal is to spend the least amount of money possible so they can make the most on the back end. So they would only spend it if they think they're going to provide a better service that, for, that is something that people want to pay for. So, you say you were in the hospital for a living? Worked in the hospital. Okay. Okay. I was like, oh man. <laughs> yeah. So, so we like you know how we started. We agreed like that six thousand dollars a day for the bed or the you know 
12,000 or what um, what you said for the medication like that's all too expensive. We absolutely agree that all of that is too expensive. But what we want to do is actually uh, list out some things that could make those prices go down. And since I've never seen the government make something get cheaper and better, I can't automatically assume that they're going to do that. And this if you are going to assume that this is people's health care. This is a very dangerous assumption to make that this will be the first time the government's ever going to do something within budget and make it better and make it affordable. That's a big gamble to say that, that right now starts the time that the government's going to actually do what they say they're going to do. So uh, I just can't, I can't make that assumption with them. So yeah, we got, go ahead. As much as the government can cull information, they can also make information go away. Mm -hmm. So it's almost even more dangerous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you might have a medical condition and someone punches F10 or the wrong button and then suddenly you don't. And uh, how do you retrieve that? I mean, you got to put a lot of faith <laughs> into. Yeah. And pe you know, people are going to mess up when they're doing that, it. It doesn't even have to be on purpose. People, that, people will mess up. Um, so what, what she's saying, though, it gives, it gives them the power. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and it does. The, right. We could name any number of things that they could make abuses on if they had all of this power. It's, and there are an infinite number of ways that they could abuse that right. power. Right. I mean, not um, just getting information, but taking it away. Yeah. Right. So uh, we definitely agree with that. And, and, and that's definitely one of the things. And so so what we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to set up an incentive structure for uh, less things like that to happen or a system that doesn't really have any reason for that to not happen? And the, an actual free market system where you only get paid money if you provide people with something that they want, which is the good thing about capitalism. In that system, it sets up that incentive structure yeah, for that you, to be the case. If you yelp for, someone and say, yeah. oh, uh, Methodist Hospital... Uh, you know, gave my father the wrong stuff. You know, people are like, well, damn, I'm not going to yeah. go to Methodist Hospital. I, <laughs> I'm yeah. going to go to Baptist Hospital. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so what we, you know, with insurance companies, you know, we work in a, in a way where they deny things all the time. Insurance companies are not innocent here whatsoever. They're still just people that are running a business and people need incentives to do better jobs. Everyone needs an incentive every day to get out of bed, to do anything productive whatsoever. And so just more human beings are running insurance companies. I was really tired this morning. And so the question is, are you providing a system that gives them an incentive to do a better job? If you are an insurance company and you just deny, deny everything, deny everything. I think I said this to you yesterday, but uh, what would you do if your car insurance company, every single time you had an accident, anything happened, they denied it every single time. They just wouldn't pay it, denied it. You'd be like, Okay, I'm going to switch to a different car insurance. Because I need company. to hire a lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in the insurance industry, the health insurance industry, where they limit the amount of people who can provide health insurance and tell them exactly what kind of health insurance they have to provide, uh, you don't have that option to just say, "Well, I've got 15 other companies I can go to." There's no incentive for them to not be dishonest, and human beings. Uh, have a very high trade of being able to be dishonest and greedy. All, all, right. all of them do. So yeah. we have time for one more question. Yeah. We got two minutes, so one more question. Thanks for the question. So I have like a counterpoint to what you say, like free market solutions. Like, wouldn't it make sense to have a single payer system where there wouldn't be like incentives because there it wouldn't be a profit model. It would just be like focusing on giving health care to the people or there wouldn't be any competition between different businesses so there wouldn't be any extra funds built in or like having to charge more for debt that they wouldn't get back yeah. simply because it would just be taking care of the people and that would be the only goal of it yeah the the, the yeah 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 So the question was if we have a single-payer healthcare system and we eliminate this constant strive towards making profit off of healthcare all the time, wouldn't that be a better system? And we can actually look throughout history in different countries that literally made profit illegal. In the Soviet Union, it was illegal to make profit in that country. They thought that profit was evil. They literally said that profit was evil. Mm -hmm. And in that country, if you were going to buy an automobile – 
the cost of that automobile was three times the price of what you would pay for an automobile made in the U.S. under a profit system. Because when you eliminate profit, while we think it's a terrible thing, we think it's, a, it's, it's evil and greedy, Profit is just, it's another incentive for you to do a better job. You know, Henry Ford changed the automobile and made the automobile industry, made the affordable automobile because he wanted to make money. He made new ways to put together a car so it would be cheaper. And if he was never striving towards profit, would he have put all of that time and effort into completely changing the way that we put that together? So that's just an example in an automobile manufacturing industry. But when you go into healthcare, that's even worse. I want there to be profit incentive because I don't. I want them to strive towards innovating, towards creating, towards creating more efficiencies inside of that market. And that ability to make some kind of a profit on top of that is the incentive that us lazy human beings have to go towards something like well, that. Well, that's what I was going to say. So in theory, what your idea suggests sounds really good in theory because we're like, well, if we just have one system, well, then everything would be perfect and we wouldn't have to worry about all of this. But the problem is society is not run by angels who make good moral decisions all the time, right? We're, we're a bunch of human beings that are flawed, that have uh, all kinds of terrible things happen to us all the time. It's a wonder that we even make it through life to begin with, right? And so how do you set up a structure that incentivizes people to provide the best care? You know, like doctors don't show up to work out of goodwill. Like they do it because they make six figures. <laughs> and they're, uh, they're good and people. They're good people. I'm yeah. not saying they're yeah. bad people, but it's like, I don't get up and code software every day because I just love helping. I just love coding software. Like it's because I get paid decent to do it. Right. Or, or anything for that matter. You have to have an incentive that pushes you beyond just a, uh, a moral relative, relative good because life requires more than just that. Well, because you never know, uh, maybe you do have a perfect moral person who's going to enact this. Who's the person after them? You don't know who that person right. is. So in what we love about the free market, the reason we push, push the free market all the time is because if you want to make money in the free market, which we're not operating them right now, by the way, we're operating in a, in a crony market right now. If you want to make money in the free market, you have to provide something with someone with something that they value or you won't make any money. And so that incentive makes you come up with all kinds of new inventions and creations and innovations in every single industry. You want to provide them a value because if they have money, you have to provide them with something that they will value more than that money or you will never, ever get that money. And so in cap capitalism, actual free market capitalism, we have a system that says, you have to provide value for others or you will not make any money inside of that system. Now, we can talk about how the government has completely screwed up that and made a crony capitalist system, but we're out of time, so we got to stop today. So, yep. uh, so thank, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to say thank off. you guys very much. Thanks for all the questions. I really appreciate that. And uh, to follow us more, an easy way to do it, go to BernieLies.com, <laughs> BernieLies.com, and uh, check it out. And send us a message or anything like that. We'll, uh, we'd love to talk with you guys. Thank you.